Well, for the last uh, four weeks of our Advent series, uh, which we've called Songs of Advent, we've been looking at different songs surrounding the incarnation in the Bible, um, which line up with the different themes of Advent, so hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, first, we dove into the story of Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, and his song of hope at the birth of his son. Uh, he even declared over John that John would proclaim the good news um, of Jesus coming. He would prepare the way. And so, uh, as John the Baptist was a prophet who declared the message of hope to the world, Zechariah sung a song over John uh, at his birth about hope and how he would be a herald of the good news. And then the second week, we read about a man named Simeon, a man named Simeon who had been told by God that he wouldn't pass from this earth before he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And so uh, as Jesus was brought into the temple for a certain uh, purification ceremony, uh, the Holy Spirit confirmed in Simeon that, that that was the Christ child, that was the Messiah. And so he erupted in song, um, in this great song of peace, where he said he could now pass from this life in peace because the Lord had answered this specific prophecy for him in his life. And so we looked at peace, not just for us specifically, but for the whole world in Christ. Uh, week three was a study of Mary's song, known as the Magnificat, where she said her spirit rejoices and her soul magnifies the Lord. And we talked about how our joy increases as we magnify the Lord by focusing on who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. And then this past week, with the final um, week of Advent, was the week of love, and we kind of took the Wayback Machine to the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah's prophecy or song about the suffering servant of Jesus who was to come, and only, uh, how only love could have motivated the God of the universe to take on flesh, combining full divinity with full humanity uh, for the rest of eternity. Tonight, we focus on the arrival of baby Jesus and the song that the angels sing. And so uh, the final song in our songs of Advent is the song of the angels. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, verses one through 14, and this is what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. To give some background here, Mary and Joseph are having to register in Joseph's hometown because Caesar Augustus is imposing a tax. 
He calls it a registration or a census, but it's not simply a census or a registration. It's a registration connected to basically the people and assets that they have under the rule of Roman Empire so that they can know how much we can get out of them. So who does this Caesar think he is anyway? It's actually right in his name. The name Augustus was a name held by gods until this time. He was one of the first, maybe the first man to be called Augustus, kind of assigning this God name to himself. It means holy or revered. It wasn't a name that you would just name your kid and kind of common, um, not so common still here in the States, but we've heard of some Augustuses uh, throughout time. See, at this point, Caesar has set himself up as a god, and in conquering the known world, is basically establishing himself and appointing himself as God of the whole world. What's more, some areas had adopted his birthday as the start of the new year on their calendar. Uh, they referred to Caesar as Savior in some places. One inscription found in Halicarnassus, which is in modern-day Turkey, went so far as to call him Savior of the world. So Caesar Augustus being worshipped, being idolized, setting himself up, as a God, lowercase g, God. And it's under this historical context that a humble carpenter and his very pregnant teen bride are having to travel about 90 miles over unfriendly terrain in harsh winter weather. Augustus then, again, is the self-proclaimed God and savior of the world, trying to build his own legacy only to become a supporting player in the story of the actual God, of the universe and savior of the world. But this entrance into the world for Jesus, though heralded by angels, was not marked by pageantry and luxury and wealth, but by humility and weakness and adversity. Giving birth is never easy. I cannot speak from experience, but from observation. Uh, it is not a simple thing. It is not an easy thing. Uh, and that's in modern times, right? At the peak and height of technology in medicine. So imagine giving birth um, in Bible times for a first time, teen mom, not at home, in a rough place, a space shared with animals, a feeding trough for a crib. Mild he lays his glory by as we sing and hark the herald angels sing, right? This refers to the emptying, the, the, the humbling that Christ took on himself. We talked about this last week, that Jesus set aside the privileges of divinity in order to fully experience humanity and live as one of us. The God of the universe took on flesh in the form of a helpless baby and in love added full humanity to his divinity for all eternity. I keep saying God of the universe because I'm not sure how else to convey the vast, immense bigness, of, uh, greatness of God. Try to wrap your mind around these numbers. I, I can't, but I'm just trying to paint a picture of how crazy big the universe is and how God is over that. I tried to check my math on this. I should have had someone else check my math on this. But uh, from my understanding, my research... There are 5,879,000,000,000 miles in a light year, roughly. Andrew, yes? Does that sound right? All right. He puts his hands up, so if he doesn't know, that's what we're going with. 5,879,000,000,000 miles in a light year, and the visible universe is 94 billion light years across. 
So if it's a sphere that we can see in whatever direction, we can see about 47 billion light years, right? So from that end to that end, it's 94 billion light years. So roughly 6 trillion times 94 billion is how many miles across the, the visible universe is. And only God knows exactly how much bigger than that it is because he is God over all of that. He is sovereign over it. He has authority over all of that. And Jesus is God. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is God of all those trillion, billion light years. And yet he emptied himself and came to earth in order to fulfill the Missio Dei, the mission of God, to reconcile all things to himself, including people who are lost and dead in their sin. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And at Jesus' birth, a multitude of the heavenly host, the Bible says, appears singing this song of praise. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This multitude is kind of a, a number too big to count of angels. Spread across the sky. Imagine the sight. If one angel causes people to be afraid and freak out, because angels always be saying, don't be afraid when they show up, right? Something about their appearance freaks people out. Because every time they show up, they say, don't be afraid. That's with one angel. If that's a crazy sight, try to imagine a multitude of them across the sky singing this song of good news and great joy. Think of the craziest, most beautiful, amazing thing you've ever seen in the sky, whether it's uh, the, a, a super clear sky and you can see millions, billions of stars or uh, the northern lights or an amazing fireworks display, whatever it is, it doesn't hold a candle to the multitude of heavenly hosts spread across the sky singing this praise song, glory to God in the highest. The first line, glory to God in the highest, it's glory to the one true God, the one to whom all glory is due. Glory to him, may he be magnified. This God-man has been born that we might be saved, but it's to God's glory, not to our glory. First and foremost, it's to the glory of God. And where is this God? He's, is he in Rome, changing his name so that people can call him holy? And is he taxing people to remind them that he's in charge? No. This one true God is in the highest heavenly realms. May his glory reach that far and beyond is what we're singing when we say glory to God in the highest. Just in case there's any question as to where our God is or how high or how mighty he is in the highest. There is none higher than him. His name is I Am, and for eternity it will be sung of him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is not the song of Caesar Augustus, but of the eternal God who has always been and always will be. And it is to him, Father, Son, and Spirit, that the angels sing glory in the highest. The second line proclaims the good news of the kingdom for those who are being shown grace or favor, peace for men and women, boys and girls, whose greatest need is peace with God. Jesus, the Son who stepped out of heaven to save sinners, has been born. The answer to every human's greatest need has arrived. 
And his arrival is marked by an amazingly profound but simple song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We've discussed this before. Peace with God leads to peace with others. And this peace with God is, is not a ceasefire or an absence of conflict with God, between God and man. But peace, biblically speaking, is harmony. It's flourishing. It's not going from negative to zero, as we often say, but going from, zero, from negative to positive. The gospel doesn't just take us back to the start, to start over a do-over, a blank canvas. It gives us more, way more, than we could ever achieve or earn or buy, but it's in Christ. How? Jesus, born as a baby, grew up and never sinned, not one single time. He ends up being betrayed, arrested, tortured, and killed, having never committed any wrong. And in this tragedy, God worked out his plan of redemption. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. He took our sin upon himself, that his death would pay the penalty for sin. He was punished and suffered so that we might be forgiven. The Bible says he died for our sin, but it also says he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, that by trusting in him, by faith alone, we are saved. Saved to eternal fellowship with God. The glory to God in the highest God. God over all 47 billion light years in every direction and then some God. We could never reach that on our own. And God is glorified in this. And so the angels sing and we sing and all creation sings because it is good news and great joy for all people that unto us a child is born and he is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, even looking at numbers like trillions and billions and multiplying and all the zeros, we cannot wrap our minds around how big, how great, how vast, how other, how above you are. That you are in control of all of it. You are uh, omnipotent over all of it. You are have authority over all of it, that you speak and things are created out of nothing. That's how great and high and mighty you are, God. And yet, in the incarnation, this miracle of miracles, Jesus, Son of God, very God of very God, stepped out of heaven and took on flesh humbled himself, submitted himself to hunger and thirst and sadness, grief, everything it means to be human and yet without sin. And God, we love and trust that this message of salvation is another promise that you intend to keep 
as we look back through history. That's another celebration of Christmas, the Advent. It's a celebration of a promise kept that a Messiah would be born, a child would be born who would be the Savior of the world, who would take on our sin. And so we celebrate that you are a promise-keeping God. We look forward to the day when Christ returns to make all things new. We pray, God, again, that you would fill our hearts, our minds this Christmas season with the true meaning and message of, of Christmas, the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that are only found in Christ. And as always, that we would not only walk in them and live them and experience them, but that we would share them with others who are far from you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth to save sinners. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.